0: Today is Tuesday, August 27th, 2019. On this day in 1964, notorious serial killer, Edmund Kemper, committed his first murders by killing his paternal grandparents. He was only 15 at the time, but he would go on to terrorize the San Francisco Bay Area as the infamous co-ed killer. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Every day we tell a timely story from true crime history, then analyze the historical impact of that day's events. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today I'm diving into the gruesome first murders of a notorious serial killer. Ed Kemper killed 10 people, but he started with his own family. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Let's go back to the Kemper Ranch in California's Sierra Foothills on August 27, 1964. 15-year-old Ed watched the dust fly up as his grandfather drove the truck down the mile-long driveway away from the ranch house. He hated it when his grandfather left him with her. He could hear her in the kitchen, moving pots and pans around for God knows what awful meal she had in mind. He could imagine her old, weathered face scowling down at the dishes. Scowling, scowling, always scowling, he hated Maud almost as much as he hated his mother. He peered around the corner, staring at his grandma as she worked. She looked angry, even in her posture, her hunched shoulders jostling as she feverishly moved her wicked, clawed hands. He could feel his anger building, weeks of resentment towards this woman, simmering just below the surface of his mind. Then she stopped and turned and looked him in the eyes. Ed furrowed his brow into a piercing glare. He was six foot four inches tall, towering over her. He imagined picking her up and crushing her beneath his feet. She was old and weak and he could destroy her at any time. Yet as if she could read his mind, see all his violent thoughts, she began to yell at him. Maud shouted, stop staring. You're always staring with your evil eyes. She ran down the laundry list of everything he had ever done wrong. And with each word she said, Ed felt his anger rising another degree almost to a boiling point. He shouted back, telling her she was just like his mother. He told her she couldn't control him. She could never control him. He told her that unless she stopped trying, he would make her regret ever opening her mouth. And yet, even after he threatened her, she continued to yell. He felt his fists clench and the veins throb in his forehead. He needed to get away from her. He needed to let off steam. As he moved to leave the house, he shouted out, I'm going shooting. He needed to hurt something, to release his anger, to get away from her. Just as he was stepping out into the sun and fresh air, he heard her shriek one last thing. "'Don't you dare shoot any birds this time, you hear me?' Ed slammed the door and stomped off to the shed, his rage frothing up like it never had before. She had to say that one last thing, didn't she? She just couldn't let him leave without jabbing in one last barb. He whispered to himself, "'I'm not going to shoot any birds this time, Grandma,' You'll see. Ed stomped into the shed and grabbed the hunting rifle his grandfather had bought for him. He loaded bullets into the clip, then cocked the chamber, ready to fire. Gun in hand, he marched back to the house, into the kitchen, and lifted the barrel. Maude shouted at him, Put the gun down! He pulled the trigger. He watched his grandmother drop to the ground and quickly fired two more bullets into her body. As she lie on the ground, her blood pooling around her, Ed still felt that he hadn't done enough. He quickly reached for the kitchen knife, then stabbed her viciously and repeatedly. Years of his bottled up rage unleashed upon his own grandmother. Once Ed was finished, he tried to catch his breath, staring at the work of his hands. He didn't feel guilt or remorse. Instead, he felt good. His domineering grandmother would never try to control him again. He stood up and dragged her corpse to her bedroom. He lifted her small frame up and placed her in her bed. It was easier for him to look at her like this. He didn't need to bend his neck to look at the floor, and he could sit on the bed himself, taking in the sight of his kill. As he sat next to his grandmother's corpse, he heard a sound coming through the open front door. His grandfather was coming up the drive. Ed's breath drew short as his mind began to race. He greatly enjoyed the sight of his grandmother, bloody and mutilated, but he knew his grandfather would hardly be able to take it. The poor, doddering, senile old fool might even have an aneurysm at the sight of his beloved wife, dead in their bed. Ed thought for a moment, then realized what he had to do. His grandfather didn't need to know what had happened. His grandfather didn't need to know anything at all. Ed got to his feet and returned to the kitchen. He grabbed his rifle, made sure it was loaded, then approached the front door. He peered out the window and watched as his grandfather parked in the driveway, stepped out of the truck, and turned towards the cab. As his grandfather's gaze was drawn to the groceries in the back of his truck, Ed stepped out of the house and hastily walked up behind his grandfather. He pulled back the bolt on his rifle and pulled the trigger. With a single shot to the head, Ed killed his grandfather. At only 15 years old, Ed Kemper had already murdered two people and it would only be a matter of time before he killed again. We'll learn more about Ed Kemper's horrifying life after this. And now back to the story. After killing his grandparents on August 27, 1964, Ed Kemper called his mother. She urged him to turn himself in to the police. For the first time in his life, Ed actually listened to his mother and called the police. He was arrested and subjected to psychological evaluation. The psychologists, who were either unable or unwilling to admit that a sane child could kill his own grandparents, diagnosed Ed with paranoid schizophrenia. Due to this diagnosis, Ed was incarcerated in a Tascadero State Hospital, a maximum security psychiatric institution rather than being sent to Juvenile Hall. While there, doctors examined Ed in more detail and quickly realized that he had been misdiagnosed. He was too friendly and too logical in his thinking to be delusional. They also administered IQ tests and discovered that he had a genius-level intellect. Ed could not have been a paranoid schizophrenic, Intrigued by this giant kid with a massive mind, the doctors took Ed on as a protege, instructing him in matters of the psyche and psychological examinations. While the doctors thought they were simply helping a lost child regain his potential, Ed instead internalized this expanded knowledge to better deceive his doctors. Ed learned how to answer questions to make it seem like he was no longer harboring violent fantasies, but secretly, his mind was a minefield of dark and dastardly deeds. His ruse ultimately worked, and the doctors recommended Ed's release to the California courts. Ed was released from psychiatric care when he was 21 years old. It wouldn't take long before he had sexually assaulted and killed six different women, his crimes earning him the infamous nickname of the Co-Ed Killer. He even murdered his own mother, the object of his deepest, most focused hatred. After killing his mother, Ed turned himself in to the police once again. He claimed that the ultimate purpose of his murders, the spiting of his mother, had been fulfilled with her death, and he no longer wished to be a danger to society. He was sent to California Medical Facility State Prison, where he remains to this day. While imprisoned, he has become one of the most well-liked, friendly inmates in the hospital, so long as he isn't speaking to a woman. However, Ed's legacy does not end with his killing spree and later imprisonment. While in prison, Ed joined a charity organization that provided books on tape for the blind. He ultimately recorded the narration for over 200 audiobooks, including a novelization of the original Star Wars trilogy. Though he remains behind bars, the voice of a killer can be heard all across the country. While imprisoned, Kemper has also worked to assist investigations into serial killers at large. When the FBI first began investigating serial murderers, they had no information about the killer's psychological motivations for their crimes. In order to better identify and capture serial killers, FBI agents Robert Ressler and John E. Douglas began developing a serial killer profiling system based on the psychology that drives serial killing. The duo conducted interviews of serial killers all across the nation, but they soon found that serial killers were rarely willing to tell the truth about their motivations. After conducting several interviews without gaining any real information, they started to think that a serial killer profiling system was a fool's errand. However, everything changed when they heard about the extraordinarily friendly and cooperative serial killer known as Ed Kemper. The duo arranged an interview with Ed and soon found that he was the exact person they'd been looking for. Because Ed had learned so much about psychology during his first stay at Atascadero, he had also learned about the benefits of introspection. After killing his mother and being imprisoned once again, Ed had spent much of his time analyzing his own behavior in an attempt to understand what had driven him to kill in the first place. Once he thought he had cracked the code, he was all too willing to talk to anybody who would listen. Robert and John interviewed Ed several dozen times and found his honesty and insight incredibly helpful. To the FBI, Ed Kemper became a sort of Rosetta Stone, a way to translate and understand the inner minds of serial killers at large. Without Ed Kemper, the FBI serial killer profiling system would have been a complete failure. And thanks to his interviews with wrestler and Douglas, the FBI has been able to identify and capture dozens of serial killers ever since. Ed Kemper himself fondly remembers his conversations with the FBI agents. However, As helpful as he might have been, it's important to remember that behind his current gentle giant facade lies the cold, dark, calculating mind of a serial rapist, kidnapper, and killer. His dreams of violence have not left him in his old age, and he's been rightfully denied parole many times over. He himself has said that if he were set free, He would waste no time in picking up his old habits. It's best that he remain behind bars so that he can never harm another woman again. For more information on the crimes of Ed Kemper, check out the episodes of Serial Killers, which cover Ed Kemper's life, killing spree, and psychology in far greater detail. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Paul Liebeskin, Maggie Admire, and Carly Madden. This episode of Today in True Crime is written by Giles Hovseth. I'm Vanessa Richardson.